Um, this, the end of summer is quickly approaching. How many of you have already been on vacation? Raise your hand. How many of you are still to, still to go? You haven't gone yet, but you're going to go. Okay. Um, how many of you ever are in your family, you're in charge of packing for vacation? Raise your hand. <laughs> Not seeing a lot of guys there. Okay. If you've ever packed for vacation, then you know um, the danger of overpacking. Yes, have you ever overpacked? Um, my guess is you've probably never overpacked quite to the level of these three pictures I'm going to show you. Um, these people went a little beyond, like the, there's a limit and they went way past it, right? Like this is overpacking to the max. I don't know, I don't know if you're... Um, Typically, you know, opposites attract. So typically in a marriage, you know, um, there's, there's the one who, who takes every piece of clothing they wear, they own, and then there's the, the dude, right? So that's why it works. The guys take one pair of underwear and they're like, what? I'll flip it inside out. It's good for two days and then it'll dry and it'll be good for two more. That was so disgusting. I'm sorry they even said that. But typically somebody's packing light and somebody's like stuffing the suitcase, your knees are on the bag, you're trying to get it zipped, right? That's kind of how it works. And so um, this morning we're in Luke. We've been in Luke for a while. Um, we're doing a series called True Story. We're talking about how, how do we know that what's in Luke is actually true. And this morning is this amazing passage where Jesus turns to his 12 disciples. And these are, these are men who've been following Jesus for a while. And he turns to them and he's going to send them on a trip. He's going to send them on a journey. And he's going to give them some instructions on how to pack. And his way of packing is very different from our way of packing. Because we pack for a trip, right? We toothbrush, toothpaste, make sure you got deodorant, all that stuff. We make sure it's in the, in the bag. You know, we, we take too many clothes. And Jesus' tip is, hey, if you want to get ready for the trip, unpack for the trip. He actually tells his disciples, like, don't take anything with you on the journey. And we talk a lot at the gathering about, about margin. We talk a lot about being focused. Um, we spent the entire month of July talking about breathing in our lives, like saying no to some things so we can say yes to the best things. And Jesus is the perfect example of what a focused life looks like here. Because he says to his disciples, this is the mission. I've got two things that I want you to do. And you'll see them. We'll read them in a minute. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. I've got two things that I want you to do. I want you to preach the gospel, and I want you to heal the sick. And I've got two things that I'm going to give you so that you can do those two things. I'm going to give you power, and I'm going to give you authority. And in, in verse 6, here's what we find. I know this is crazy. We find that the disciples actually went and did the two things that they were supposed to do. It says in verse 6 that they went village to village preaching the gospel, that was one, and healing people everywhere, that was two. And so what I learned is this. When we're clear about the mission and we don't take more than we need for the mission, we accomplish the mission. Now you just heard Alex talk about, you know, his time in the Middle East. There's a reason why you don't see soldiers dragging baggage behind them. Right? Because they're only going to take what they need for the mission. And that's what we see Jesus saying here. It's like, don't take too much. As a matter of fact, don't take anything with you. And he tells that to the 12 disciples that have been following him. And, and I just want to make sure we get this right up front. So the 12 disciples are not us, right? I mean, just go ahead. You can look at the person next to you if you want to. They don't look like a disciple that Jesus had back then, right? There were 12 men. They followed Jesus. 
and he gave specific instructions. There were some things that he would tell them to do. And sometimes what we do in the church today is we say, well, you know, like that preaching the gospel thing and healing the sick, that was for those 12 men to do. I'm not one of those 12 men. I'm just a high school girl. Not me personally, but, you know, I'm just hypothetically saying that, right? Because you were like, dude, weird. We sometimes write off, well, we don't have to do that because that's what Jesus told his 12 disciples to do. I just want to remind you, okay, in Matthew, the end of that book is something called the Great Commission. And what did Jesus tell all of us to do? He said to go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples of all men. At the end of Mark, Mark records the Great Commission. And Mark adds this, that when we do that, there will be signs that will follow those that believe. And one of those signs, there's a lot of them there, one of those signs is healing. So look, don't just go, well, you know, I don't have to preach. And God didn't actually expect me to pray for somebody who's sick and see them get healed. No, he actually does expect that of his followers. And so when he sends them out on a journey, he's also sending us out on a journey. And the beauty of Jesus is the way that he helps his disciples pack. I love it. He says, look, here's the mission. I am the light of the world. And I've come to bring a good news, a good message. It's called the gospel. And so I want you to carry the light. And so if you're going to carry the light, you don't need to be weighed down with a bunch of baggage. And I don't know if you know this or not, but what changes luggage into baggage is all the stuff we're going to talk about today. It's the junk in it. That's what changes luggage into baggage. He doesn't want you to have baggage. And so Jesus said, in order for you to carry the light, you've got to travel light. I'm going to say that again. That's your big idea. If this is your first time here, here's what big idea means. Big idea means this. I'm going to talk to you for about 25 minutes, and you're going to remember how much of it? Not much. Because that's the way we are. That's why we're human, right? Some of you are going to take notes. You're going to take that note sheet home. You're going to use it this week to study it. But some of you are not going to do that. And so if you can just remember this big idea, it'll be up on the screen in just a second. It's on your note sheet. You can fill in the blank. If you can just remember this then you'll remember most of what I'm going to talk to you about today, okay? And this is the big idea. To take the light, to carry the light, we've got to travel light. To take the light, that's Jesus. We need to travel light. This is why Jesus said something crazy to his disciples. He told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money. No extra tunic. You're like, this makes no sense, right? Like, this is crazy. Those of you that pack everything and more cannot relate to this. But Jesus says, if you want, if you want to take the light, if you want to carry my message, you've got to travel light. So I know that there's probably a lot of things that are stuffed in your luggage. There's a lot of things that are stuffed in my luggage. But I see at least three things here. I'm going to give you three. Three things that we've got to unpack if we're going to carry the light. And you might think of more, and yours might be better, probably are, but these are my three, okay? And see if they relate to you. I think that they will. Here's the first thing that we've got to unpack before we go on this trip, before we start to carry the gospel. We've got to unpack fear. Now, I don't know where you are on the fear scale, like zero to ten, like zero is, nothing scares me, ten is, ah, right? I don't know where you are on that. But, but imagine going on a long journey Getting in your car, you got no spare tire, no extra gas, no money. Imagine you're a trapeze artist, there's no net, right? I mean, these are, this is very real. So when Jesus turns to his 12 and says, go on a journey and take nothing extra with you, that would incite fear in the hearts of those of us that are planners, right? 
Um, those of you that are like, you know, you find by the seat of your pants, and you're just like, yeah, I don't even book, I don't even book hotel reservations. You're cool with this. But those of you that actually write down the confirmation number whenever the hotel people give it to you, it's driving you nuts that you're not taking anything for the journey. I don't write down confirmation numbers. As a matter of fact, when they ask me if I have a pen and I'm ready, I just go, yeah. And they rattle off like 800 numbers, and she says, got it. And I go, sure. I think it started with eight. Sometimes if I mess with them, I'm like, can you just repeat it again? I still don't write it down. It's just fun. Like, you know. It's not who I, it's not how I am. So, but fear of not having what you might need. And isn't that, it's amazing how much fear drives the decisions that we make. As a matter of fact, I'm not making you feel bad because you're like, if you're breathing, we're all pretty much the same. We make most of our decisions based on fear. And, and if, I could, if I could have done the three points the way I wanted to do them today, they would have been this. Point one, identity. Point two, identity. Point three, identity. Because all of these are about identity. Who we are matters. Who we know that we are matters. I've got two sons. They're going to be going to college this time next year. So Friday when I was at Pfeiffer doing move-in day, and I'm sweating because it was so hot, and it's mixed with tears because I'm going, this will me, me in a year. I mean, I couldn't, I can't believe my kids are going to go to college. They're going to leave the home. So I look at this and go, Jesus is sending his 12 out. I'm getting ready to send two of mine out. And I'm going to tell you right now, what I want more than anything is for Parker and Will to know who they are when they leave the home. If they don't know what to do, that makes them like 99% of all the other adults that fake it every day. But if they know who they are, they'll figure out what to do. But they can know everything about what to do. If they don't know who they are, they'll never make it. And identity is so important that we know who we are in Christ. That we know who we are because of what Jesus did. So all three of these are going to deal with identity. And this fear thing is huge. It's huge. We cannot be ruled by fear. Some of you right now are in relationships, not if you're married, but if you're just like in a dating relationship, and you're like, I, would, I think I should get out. You're scared to do that because what might happen? You're in a job. I think I should get a different job. You won't do it. Why? Because you're scared of what might happen. And when we're feared by, when we're feared by rule, when we're ruled by fear, we, sit, we tend to like, it just rules everything. Every decision filters through that. And when that happens, man, God has got to eradicate fear from our lives. And I love the way he does it. God will always find a way to get fear out of our lives. And here's how I know, because I lived it. When I was a youth pastor in Lake Wiley, South Carolina, I had this great youth group. And one boy named Philip came from Oklahoma. He was visiting for the summer. Um, he was like, uh, like a, a, a nephew of somebody in our church. And so he's in our youth group for the summer. We go to Carowinds one day. And I get a, a huge group of teenagers at Carowinds. We're having a blast. And at one point, the teenagers were like, hey, let's go ride on the Carolina Cyclone, which is not called the Carolina Cyclone anymore, but it's that, it's that roller coaster that goes upside down two times. It's got a couple corkscrews in it. You know, it's a blast. I don't know if you're a roller coaster person or not, but I love roller coasters, especially when they go upside down, because if you spit at the top, you can catch it at the bottom. I'm just saying, if you ever want to try it, you know, whatever. If you miss, it's still fun because it hits other people. <laughs> so, like, they're like, hey, Let's go, ride, let's go ride the cyclone. And Philip goes, his eyes, like, you know people whose eyes bug out? Like, his eyes are always bugging out like that. And, like, he's like, too much caffeine. He's like, no way, man, no way. I'm scared of roller coasters. I'm scared of roller coasters. I don't want roller coasters. And I was just a youth pastor. I was like, Philip, 
Thus says the Lord. You know, like the whole, I just want all, all youth pastor mode on. I was like, dude, 2 Timothy 1.7 says that God has not. Yea, Philip, God hath not. Yea, he hath not given you a spirit of fear, but a power, love, self-control. And Philip went, his eyes got real big, and he went, then I'll do it. And they went running off, you know, ride the roller coaster. I'm just like, man, I would take a million of those guys, right? Just people that you just tell them, hey, this is what the Word of God says. And they're just like, do it. I'm going to go do it. So they go off and they're riding the roller coaster. And they come back and he's, he's like, he's loving it. And he, they go back and ride it again. They come back the second time. And everybody's just talking 100 miles an hour like I am right now, right? And Phillips, I, they're just so big. And he was like, I loved it. It was great. It was fantastic. And while I'm just kind of reveling in my moment, of how I've steered this young man in the right direction. 13-year-old Carrie and 15-year-old Elizabeth said, Pastor Paul, let's go ride the sky coaster. And I said, oh, no, I'm scared of heights. And Philip said, Pastor Paul! God hadn't given us a spirit of fear. And I was like, seriously? Like, like all summer long I've been teaching you and that's what you choose to remember? Are you kidding me right now? So I'm caught, right? So I had to go ride the sky coaster. I'm, I am really scared of heights. So the sky coaster at Carowinds, it's a death trap. <laughs> and, and the way it works is, you know, if, if you haven't been there, I'm sure some of you have been there. You know, you, you, so you stand like, you know, I'm with me, I'm in the middle, and there's, you know, 13 and 15-year-old girls next to me. Huh, that's weird. And, and then when they start going up, you just kind of flop like that, and you just kind of hang. And so they take you up slowly. It's not like up and done. Like you, they, they, let, they let you look at the ground a very long time. And what they have on the ground, of course, is a bullseye. Have you seen this? It's a target on the ground. It's like their way of saying, that's where you'll die the whole time you're going up. And you get to the top, and it just kind of clicks. You feel like everything's going to fall apart. And you just hang there for a very, very long time. Long enough to pray, long enough to cry, long enough to wet your pants. I'm just saying, it's a long time. And then, as you're looking at the bullseye, some man down on the ground that used to be this tall and is now like that tall, yells, pull the cord. Pull, 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 pull the what? What, what do you say? Pull, the what? We've got to pull the cord. Pastor Paul, we've got to pull the cord. You're kidding. We're going to die and they're making us start it? What's up with that? And so Carrie says, Elizabeth, pull the cord. And I was like, no, no, wait, not yet. Let's, let's pray first. Oh, God, forgive me for everything I've ever done wrong, everything I've ever thought about doing wrong. Forgive me for everything Carrie's done wrong, Elizabeth's done wrong. Cover me in the blood, but please, God, not my own blood. In your name, Jesus, amen. Pull the cord. They pulled that cord, man. We, I mean, you just drop, right? You're dropping down, and we're, you swing out over the crowd, kind of like this right here. Swing out over the crowd, and they're all looking at you. They're waving, and I'm just like, don't ride this ride. It's crazy. You swing back, you know, and then we swing out a second time over the crowd. And right here, as God is my witness, Carrie said, Pastor Paul. And I said, what? She said, you can let go of my hand now. <laughs> Man, God's going to get fear out of you one way or the other. He has to get fear out of your life. Now, I hope it's not that extreme for you, but it was for me. And the way we get rid of fear in our lives is 1 John 4, 8. 
1 John 4, 18, it says this. That perfect love casts out how much fear? All fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. And so when you fall in love with Jesus, and that's how you unpack fear. We unpack fear by falling in love with Jesus. When you really fall in love with Jesus, there's just not any room in your life for fear. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew when he looked at his disciples and he said, look, don't take anything for the journey. He knew that as they understood that he was a good savior, that God was a good father, that they would take care of all that they needed, that they would not need to be afraid. There was no other way for those 12 to learn it than to go on a trip without a safety net. And Jesus knew that. You and I have got to get rid of fear and the way to do it it's to fall in love with the Father who always comes through. Everybody say always. always. Always comes through. Your Father will always come through. And when you fall in love with that, it leaves no room for fear. And it lightens your load. Here's the second thing that we've got to unpack. We unpack fear by falling in love with Jesus. We've got to unpack pride. Okay? And we've got to unpack pride by humbling ourselves before Jesus. Um, let me just explain to you how this works. I know most of us would not actually go out to share the gospel and be prideful about it, but there is a fine line between having the answer and beginning to feel like you are the answer, okay? And that's the difference between humility and pride, is that when, we're, when we have the answer and we're delivering it, that's one thing. But when we feel like we are the answer, oh, that's a whole nother level of pride, right? Like, some of you um, teenagers, um, surely preteens are not dating now, but some of you teenagers, maybe college students, you have probably been on dates with people who thought they were the answer to your life. You didn't go on a second date, right? You might not have even finished the first date. You're just like, excuse me, I need to go to the bathroom, and they're, not, they're still waiting on you to come back. Right? <laughs> James 4, 6 says that God opposes the proud. Opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let me just make sure you understand how much God opposes pride in our lives. In that, in that verse, those are legal terms. So when it says that God opposes the proud, that word for oppose carries this meaning with it. It would be like you being charged with a crime and you go in and you sit at your little table and you've got your defense attorney there. And you look across to see who you'll be going against and on the other side in the prosecutor's desk is God. That's what that term means in the Greek, is that when we're proud, when we have pride in our lives, God actually becomes like a prosecutor of us. He opposes us because of the pride in our hearts. I'm telling you, you've got to carry the message with humility. You've got to carry it in a way that you don't get in the way. You are carrying the answer. You are not the answer. So when Jesus, I love this, he said to his disciples, if you enter a house, stay there. So whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. Let me tell you why I think that's so cool. Because if you and I went out, right, and God said, hey, look, go preach the gospel and go heal sick people. And I'm going to give you the power and authority to do that. I mean, can you imagine the first time you put your hands on somebody that was sick? Like you're in Walmart, right? We talk about Walmart all the time. You're in Walmart and you see somebody like on crutches. And um, instead of like walking the other direction, you walk to them and you're like, ma'am. Sir, um, would it be okay if I just prayed for you? And so you kind of do that whole like prayer of faith where you go, I don't know if you're watching because you're not sure it's really going to happen. And then they like throw the crutches down and they start running around Walmart and they're totally healed. Somebody's in a wheelchair, you pray for them and they get healed. I don't know what you'd be like, but I'd be like, 
wow, that's pretty cool. I might want to try that again. If I did that maybe 10 or 5, 5, 10, 15 times in a row, I might start thinking, I should have a healing ministry. I should probably take this on the road. I bet more people want to hear me preach. See how easily pride gets in there? And what Jesus said was, when you enter a house, whatever house it is, stay. I'm telling you, pride does not like to stay anywhere. Pride thinks that it should spread itself around to everybody. But humility, humility recognizes that I am a part of a greater mission. Pride says, everyone needs me and the message that I'm bringing. But humility says, everyone needs Jesus and the messengers that he's sending. Proverbs 29, 23 links humility and honor together. It says this, a man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit or humility gains honor. Man, when we carry this message with humility, you'll be surprised at how many people will listen to it. The approach really does matter. And when you take it with humility, people give you honor. And you give honor back. And I just love that, that just that practical step. Jesus is like, look, you're going to stay at a house and you're going to become this healing ministry rock star. And their neighbors are going to want you to stay with them for a night. And then they're going to want you to go across the street and stay with somebody else for the night. But don't do it. Stay where you are. Just enter a house and stay there. There's no room for pride on this journey. Humble yourself before the Lord before you even start. So we unpack fear, we unpack pride, and here's the last one. We unpack regret. We unpack regret by remembering the cross of Jesus. Listen to this um, really strange instruction that Jesus gave his disciples. It says in verse 5, If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. Now that is bizarre, right? That is weird, and we don't practice that unless you're at the beach, right? And at the beach, we don't shake the dust off. We get under the shower like we do the whole thing, right? But here's what it meant back in that context. In that day... If, if you went to a town and they did not receive you, this is specifically for the Jews. So if you went to a town that wasn't Jewish and they didn't receive you, they didn't receive the message of God, um, then what, we, what they were told to do was, when you leave that town, you shake your feet and shake all the dust off your feet into that town. Basically, what God was saying was, they're so against my word and my truth that I don't want you to even risk bringing that dirt back to my camp, back to the holy camp. And so you make sure you leave the bad stuff in their city. Now, I don't think that that means if you go on a bad date that you should shake dust off your feet. I don't think it means that you should do that and, like, talk to your neighbor. And if you walk over and you're like, hey, what's up? They're like, I'm a cowboy fan. Whoa, shake the dust off my feet, right? I don't think that's what it means. It might, might possibly be, but I don't think it is. I think what it means is that we have one person. There's one person on the face of the planet active in all of our lives, that is 100% against the preaching of the gospel. It's not your boss. It's not your spouse. It's not your teacher. It's not your friend. It's Satan. Satan is the only person who is 100%, 100% of the time, against the preaching of the gospel. And what does Satan love to do? Satan loves it when we show up 
and we're sharing the light, when we're sharing the message, when we're doing what Alex talked about, just carrying the light in dark places, Satan loves to use people to remind us of how we're not the best messengers. Well, I don't know why you're telling me this because I know who you are, right? I mean, think about one of the people that was going on this trip. His name was Peter, right? Peter in the Greek means big time failure. <laughs> Doesn't really, but that's, he's always making mistakes. He's always blowing it. And Jesus is sending Peter out to villages where people probably knew Peter to share a message about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Peter knocks on your door and you answer it. And you're like, you know Peter. Like, dude, we went to school together. Like, you're the jerk. It's like, yeah, well, I'm here to tell you about Jesus. You? You? Like, early on when people found out I was a pastor, they went, say, what? No, seriously, it's true, right? I mean, like, he loves to remind us of how we have failed. And he uses people to do it. And so I believe this. I believe that we have to shake that dust off our feet. We have got to unpack regret from our lives. Look, can I just set you at ease right now? Nobody in this room, including me, is the best messenger of the gospel. But the message is the best message. And if you've been changed by the gospel, if you believe in Jesus, then you're the best messenger because you're carrying the best message. Satan always wants to point it back at us and say, well, look what you've done. Don't you remember what you've done? And what you've got to see is this. We unpack regret by remembering the cross of Jesus. We remember what he did on the cross. And this is what the cross did. The cross deals with our pain of the past and gives us hope for the future. There is no room for regret when we remember the cross and the hope that it brings. Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19, just paraphrasing it, says this, that God says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. A new thing is springing up. Do you not see it? I am making a way in the desert. I'm making a way in the wilderness. And do you know what the way was that God made? It was the cross. It was the cross. That's where Jesus bled and died for us to redeem us because we were sinners and now we're saints. Because we were foreigners and now we are family. That's what happened at the cross. And so we, we get rid of regret. We unpack regret by remembering what happened at the cross. And what happened at the cross was those three points I told you earlier. Identity, identity, identity. It all changed. You are not who you were. So we don't carry the message the way that we were. We carry the message the way that we are now. And Jesus knew this. He looked at his disciples. He said, look, don't take anything for the journey. Anything you take that is too much, it'll become baggage. It will weigh you down. And if you've ever gotten in an airport and had to um, make a connecting flight and you grabbed your carry-on, which you thought was small, but now as you're dragging it behind you as you run fast, you realize it's way too big. And you are doing all you can to get to get, you just like, at some point, you just look at that carry on like, ah, forget it, right? Just take off because it's more important to make the flight than it is to take stuff with you. And if you pack like me, you get home after a trip and you open your suitcase and you have on one side like the three or four things you wore and then you pull out this huge stack of clothes still folded, set it on the bed and realize 
I never even wore them. Now I have to wash them anyway because they've been in here near dirty from the smells of the few clothes that I wore. Like we pack way too much stuff. And Jesus knew that. And he knew that we would not be the best messengers if we're always carrying and dragging baggage behind us. And so Jesus told his disciples, don't take any baggage. Take nothing for the journey. Take nothing for the journey. And he tells us the same thing. Now, if I could have had it my way, this morning we would have closed the service like this. I would have had a baggage counter right here. And I would have had you come and check your luggage. That would have been fun, right? But we didn't have time to build all that stuff. But here's what we're going to do. And, and if, you've, if you're kind of new to church and, you know, you're still, you're like, that was the funny story about the roller coaster, but you lost one and everything else. You know, you're still kind of getting used to all this church stuff. Then this might seem a little bit strange. But what I believe is this. I believe that when we spend time with Jesus, he helps us check our baggage. We kind of wrap this up this morning. Phil and Jen are going to come and they'll just, just sing, sing a song. And while they're singing, I'm just going to invite you. Just kind of do a baggage check with Jesus. To say, you know, is, is fear, pride, regret. And, and maybe, again, there could be a, a billion other things in your baggage that I didn't talk about. But the great thing about the Holy Spirit is while I've been talking to you about those three, he's been talking to you about something I didn't talk about. I love that, right? And it's just a chance for you. To respond. Yeah, you can respond in your chair, sure, absolutely. But this altar will be open to you. And just while they sing, for you just to respond. And just kneel. And just talk to Jesus. And just simply say, you know what? I've been carrying that baggage and I don't want to carry it anymore. I want my load to be light. Because to take the light, I need to travel light. And I can't take the light. If my hands are full of all this other stuff.